In today's world of content overload and shortened attention spans, quick, snappy content is every business owner's secret weapon. Recent studies have shown that the average person spends about 15 seconds skimming online content as they scroll. To put this into perspective, that's about the amount of time it takes to check a notification on your smartphone, send a single short text message, stretch at your desk, or the length of one Instagram story slide. The good news is there are a few different ways you can cut to the chase and grab your potential customer's attention in 15 seconds or less. And that's exactly what today's guest, Lauren Schwartz, is here to teach you about today. Lauren is a thought leader creating profitable creative strategies for e-commerce businesses. Lauren's passions lie in creating top-performing ad creatives, and she is obsessed with strategy. In her downtime, Lauren enjoys teaching others how to create effective content for their own businesses using Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, and Pinterest. So how do you create a compelling branded narrative in the time it takes to fire off a text? Well, Lauren is here to teach you exactly how. So let's dig in. You're listening to the Workshop Weekly Podcast, the show where no dream is too big and no topic is too small. Around here, we believe that taking imperfect action rules. So we're creating space for you to dive in and fast track your success one workshop at a time. Now, refill your coffee cup, grab your notebook, and get ready to join in on your weekly training, listen to meaningful conversation, and learn from industry experts. Here's your host, Kelly Lawson. Hello, Lauren. Welcome to the show. I am so excited to geek out with you on all things digital marketing today. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me, Kelly. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. So why don't we start with the most fundamental question? Why don't you introduce yourself to our audience and let them know how you came to be a digital marketing guru and an e-com strategist? Yeah. So my name is Lauren Schwartz. I own a small advertising or digital marketing agency called The Loft 325. I have been in the e-commerce space for a little over 15 years. So I've done everything from email marketing to UI UX and just started to dabble into the digital side of things with Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, probably about six years ago and kind of fell in love with it, decided that this is the path I kind of wanted to take. And so recently, I just went out on my own, launched my own business, and basically just have been doing that ever since, working with a handful of clients in the e-commerce space and just really, really helping their brands grow through digital marketing. Amazing. And because I did a proper stalking of you before we hit record, (laughs) I know that you've had some successes. So maybe you're being a little bit modest. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the success that you've had as an e-com strategist? Yeah. So I've been able to work with some pretty expensive brands, pretty high-end brands. I've worked with Love Wellness, who is low Bosworth's company, and really kind of helped them get into the multi-million dollar mark in their advertising. I've been featured and been able to speak at AdWorld Conference this last year. So that was really exciting. And I've had a lot of success in the clients that I've worked with and the larger brands that I've worked with. And it's just been such a great experience to help them grow and to just really get them 
on the right path creatively to scale their business. Yeah. So can you tell us like a little bit about some of those businesses in the e-com world? Are they selling physical products? Are they selling digital products? Yeah. So pretty much every company I work with is a direct-to-consumer product-based company. So I work very closely with a lot of health and wellness, a lot of skincare. I work with a razor brand and I work with a phone case brand. So I kind of have a very different kind of ebb and flow of how I work with. It's not just one specific category, but everything is direct to consumer. So all product-based online e-commerce. Got it. Awesome. Well, you're in a really good place today because most listeners have direct to consumer businesses. They're either selling digital products, services, or physical products. So I feel like we're in good hands today, listeners, with Lauren. So let's dig into it. How can businesses generate content that drives click-through? I know that that's something that you've really had a lot of success helping businesses with in the past. So how can listeners take advantage of improving their click-through rates? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing for direct-to-consumer brands that I always tell my clients is that always show the product within the first three seconds. That's the most important. When you think about Facebook, you think about Instagram, we're absorbing content so quickly that if it takes more than three seconds to show your product, most of the time people are going to scroll right past it. So always making sure that small businesses, large businesses, always make sure you show the product within the first three seconds. I think that's the biggest thing. And most people for their direct-to-consumer brands, they have the product on white, they have a quick video that kind of shows the product, whether it's an explainer or something like that. So I definitely think that's probably the first thing. I would definitely say for other clients, it's making sure that you have really good testimonials and really good reviews, whether that's user-generated content or UGC. It could be just a quick iPhone video of yourself talking about the product and really just kind of engaging your audience to understand why they should purchase this product. I think that's always something that's so helpful to use. And it's so easy to do. You don't have to have a large budget to shoot user-generated content. And you don't have to have like a big production studio to get that kind of content that you need. So I definitely think those are kind of the three things that any business can do when they're first starting out or if they do have a small budget. Okay, so why don't we talk a little bit more about some examples of that? Because it sounds like you're talking about video when you say show your product in the first three seconds. Is that the best way to put out content nowadays? Is video the way to go? Is it going to drive more click through? So it's funny because I feel like in the direct-to-consumer space, it kind of depends on the brand. But I would say that, so video is always going to lead no matter what. But I do also feel that still imagery is something that is very important as well. When you think about a still image, if you have a really great layout as far as a lifestyle image or a really clean product hero image, that's going to stand out just as well as a video. Sometimes I feel like video, you can overcomplicate it, where as a static image, you can put the product in the forefront, you can put either your offer or a clear headline on the product, and you can absorb that within the first three seconds. So I think for a click-through, it's definitely something that you should test with your audience to see how that would resonate either way. So having the video content where it's in the first three seconds or showing the static image and then having that be the clear image in the first three seconds. 
Okay, I get it. So if they're looking at a static image, they need to be able to consume the content if they're reading it or looking over the image in the first three seconds. Yes, exactly. Very good. So the other thing that you talked a little bit about is UGC or user-generated content. And I'm pretty sure most listeners would know what UGC or user-generated content is. But just in case there's some that don't, can you talk a little bit more about what that is and kind of the steps that you can take to generate that for your own business? So user-generated content is anything that you receive from either clients or customers where they are talking about the product, videotaping themselves, talking about the product on their phone. So a lot of times what people do or what brands do is they will send an email and request for either a review for some sort of discount or they'll ask for a video talking about the product and how it worked for them. So this is something that is very easy to get from your customers. And a lot of the times customers get excited about it because they'll receive either some sort of discount or free shipping or something like that off of the next product. But it's content that is just shot on your iPhone talking about the product, essentially. Okay, so it's obviously coming from customers. Yes, yes. Okay. Most of the time it is coming from customers. There are some brand owners that also like to shoot content talking about the product and kind of giving a little bit more behind the scenes of how the product is made. But for the most part, user-generated content is coming from your customers. Got it. And so I guess there's probably a little less attention to the production details and things like that. It maybe appears a little bit more like Instagram stories or something a little less edited, something a little more raw. Yeah. And that's exactly what I think actually works so well for user-generated content is that it looks very native to the feed. And so you don't look like you're being sold to as opposed to like a high production video shoot. This just looks like someone picked up the phone, shot it, and is just telling you about the product, like a friend telling another friend about why they should use this product. I love it. So why don't we talk a little bit about this 15 second thing that I've heard you talk about as well. And let's start with talking about why it's important to tell your story in 15 seconds or less in today's age. Yeah. So like I said earlier, we consume content now at such a rapid pace that people don't want to sit and listen or watch anything longer than 15 seconds. Recently, I've been running some ad results where people are only consuming content within the first eight to 10 seconds, and then they go past it. So I think the shorter you can get whatever you need into your ad content, quicker, the better. Because most of the time, people won't stay past 15 seconds, unless it's a video that is kind of an explainer video. But even still, they won't stay for longer than 20 seconds. So it's very important to, like I said, have your product within the first three seconds, really drive home the why behind why they should purchase this and any sort of value props you have within the first 15 seconds. And it doesn't have to be all in one ad. It could be two separate ads that you break up and you can put within the funnel. But definitely making 
these quick 15 second, 10 second videos is going to be more effective than the long form. So how can listeners get started with getting that super crucial, the most important information about their product and ideally compelling information that'll keep people around for at least that 15 seconds? How can listeners get started extracting the most important information for a 15 second ad? Yeah, so I think the way that they can do it is a lot of times when you're a brand owner, you're the person that knows everything about it. So for you, it's hard. I feel like you need to kind of take a step back. I like to call it the grandma challenge. Like, is this something that you can explain to your grandma in less than 15 seconds and have her understand it? I mean, not to say that there's anything wrong with grandmas, but (laughs) a lot of older people, they need something that you can tell them what it is in a short amount of time and have them understand it. And breaking that down in such an easy way that, it makes it digestible for them so they can understand it very quickly. So I think one of the big things to do is to get outside of the brand owner and really start talking to people that know nothing about their product and have the brand owner explain it to someone who knows nothing about it and how can they get their pitch quicker in 15 seconds or less. So if it's taking you a minute to explain what this product is, then I think as a brand owner, you just need to take a step back and really kind of dumb it down a little bit on how this is going to resonate and get people to understand it more quickly. Okay, so let's say that I put down the most concise pitch that I can about my service or offer or product, and it's still 60 seconds long. What are the things that you recommend that people either get rid of, do away with, or the things that they should put up to the front? So I think a lot of times you can have a really good 60 second pitch. I think the main thing to do is kind of break your 60 seconds up into three parts. So you could break it up into talking about the product where it's the value props. So what are the three main value props of your product? Second could be, how does this resonate with a consumer? So the why behind it, essentially. And then I think the last thing that could be very beneficial is just, again, showing the product within the first three seconds and just giving that really good kind of call to action. Like this is the holy grail of skincare or something like that. Like something that's really attention grabbing that they can kind of add in within the first three seconds, I think is something that's super important. Yeah. And do you ever recommend that folks who are creating this content that they test it first or even show it to grandma and watch over her shoulder to see what happens or ask her questions afterwards? Is there any type of like, I guess, market research in that sense that people should do maybe before they put it live and put it in front of their audience? So that's actually a great thing. Creative testing is so important and you can actually do creative testing within the Facebook platform. Anytime we run any sort of new angle or new kind of pitch, if you want to call it, we always put all of our ad creatives in a creative testing campaign, which basically helps to rule out any sort of bad creatives, bad copy, bad text. And then we can take what we like to call a super creative once we figured out what's resonating with the audience. So what first three seconds is resonating with them? What headline is resonating with them? What copy is resonating with them? And taking all of 
that information that we've received from Facebook and putting it into this kind of super campaign of, okay, these are the creatives that are working really well. And this is what's going to drive those clicks. So always, always creative test. That's the biggest part I think of learning about your audience is testing all these different angles. Because unfortunately with Facebook, you never know what's going to work and what isn't going to work. But the algorithm is so strong that it's going to pick those winners for you without having to do too much work, basically. Got it. And I know that Facebook ads is a whole other beast and probably a three hour long podcast, but (laughs) just to kind of skim the surface of that a little bit. How do you know if something is, let's say that we set up a really basic ad sequence or a few ads to test a few different things. How do we know that one of them is more successful over the other one? Yeah. So again, there's a lot of things that you can kind of test with that. The thing that my company likes to do is we do like to look at the click-through rate. We do like to look at how long they're actually viewing the piece of creative. And we do like to test the engagement overall. Are they sharing the content? Is it getting comments on the content? Are they actually engaging with what we're putting out there? And how is that kind of working creatively for your audience? What actions do you take if you put out a piece of content to test it and it actually gets a negative response? Because I know in my scroll, I've seen ads for different things like Spanx or whatever. And sometimes people don't receive that well at all. So what do you recommend companies do when that happens? Yeah, so again, the whole fun, I guess, of creative testing is just figuring out what's going to work. There have been a lot of times when we've done creative testing and we know that it's going to work. There's something about this piece of creative that I really feel strongly about. So a lot of times I will kind of rework the ad and either redo the first three seconds that maybe I think could be a little bit more engaging I might swap out a thumbnail image, what's actually going to show for the thumbnail on Facebook. And sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes you kind of test these things and it's still not resonating. And unfortunately, you just have to scratch it and try to figure out a new angle. Maybe that angle just wasn't working for your consumer. Maybe that wasn't something that they, again, were resonating with. So I really feel like as far as the strategy goes, that's kind of where that comes in is that you have to figure out these different angles and how that will work with your audience. Yeah, because you never know what people are going to accept or reject, or at least that's the way I feel when I'm scrolling and I get into the comments of ads and I just think like, holy smokes, (laughs) people did not like the model in that ad or whatever. And it just catches me by surprise. So often in those cases, do people simply just delete those ads or is any type of traction still considered good traction? Yeah, I mean, obviously some traction is good, but if you've gotten a pretty negative response where you've put a lot of budget behind these ads and nothing is working, you're not getting the click through, you're not getting the engagement. Unfortunately, you just have to turn that ad off and kind of start over. I mean, again, it's frustrating sometimes as a creative because you put a lot of work into those. But again, sometimes you just never know. Yeah, and really just getting it out there, you're just getting started, really, because it's the longer you're able to do it and tweak it and learn from how people respond to it, the better at it you'll get. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. So I know that you talked a little bit about identifying your hook. So getting something in there up front so that it compels people to stay and watch a little bit longer. Can you talk a little bit about what a hook is? Yeah, so kind of the three-second hook, like I said, is kind of coming up with 
something that is going to stop a user in the scroll. So again, you're scrolling past content. A lot of times it could either be an abrupt image where you have like someone falling and hitting a rock or something. I mean, I know that sounds like a very aggressive, but like (laughs) it could be something that's like very shocking or it could be a person talking about this product where again, the copy that comes up that says this is the holy grail or the most whatever you want to put into your hook. Anything that's going to be very attention grabbing is what I like to kind of put in within the first three seconds. Because like I said, if I'm scrolling through the feed, most of the time you're looking at your phone while you're on your lunch break or you're just kind of paused for a second. And if it doesn't grab you within the first couple seconds, you're just going to scroll right past it. And a lot of times you just need to get that one image or that one video kind of stopping point that will make people just go, oh, what's this? And then continue to keep watching. So you bought a fancy camera or you're thinking about buying one because it's clear to you that there is no shortage of beautiful moments or things in your life that you'd like to capture beautifully. But the record scratches because all the dials and buttons and settings are standing between you and your life in stunning photos. Well, my friend, I have just the fix, the ultimate photography starter kit. This free resource includes a recommended equipment list, quick start checklist, and a beginner's guide to creating natural poses and candid moments to give you the confidence you need to dust off that fancy camera and start documenting your moments so they can last forever. The Ultimate Photography Starter Kit is completely free and it is everything you need to get started. So grab yours today at kellylawson.ca slash starter kit. That's kellylawson.ca slash starter kit. And I can't wait to see your framers in my scroll. Can you talk to some examples of the types of things that do hook people? I know not all audiences are created equally, but is there anything that bubbles to the surface for content like imagery or copy that will hook most audiences? Yeah. So what I've kind of learned is that, again, when someone is talking about, so a couple examples, product on white, like I said, just having the image on a clear background and a really clear headline. So an example that I have is a company I used to work for. They sold keto-based powder where you could still eat carbs, but this keto supplement will help you stay in ketosis. So one of the images that we had was an image of the bag showing the product. And then the headline was stay in ketosis while still eating carbs. And A lot of times that resonates obviously with that audience because it's like, oh, that's a big thing for keto is that you're not supposed to eat these carbs. So for me as someone who's like, oh, like I guess you'll be in keto and still eat carbs, like sweet, what's this? So that was something that did really well in that ad account. And all it was was a clear headline and a clear static image. For video, something that's worked really well for me too is user-generated content, keeping it very native to the feed and making kind of the same sort of text pop-ups that you see on like an Instagram story, for instance, like how it has like kind of the box around it with the font and then some sort of GIF that works really well and a really clear call to action. Like I said, the one that's been working really well for my skincare brands is 
this is the holy grail of skincare or whatever. I mean, I put that in the first three seconds and that has always seemed to work for some of the skincare brands I use because it's very much like, okay, well, why is this the holy grail of skincare? So I think things like that are very easy to use. So to kind of wrap it up for that one, it's a product on white with a clear kind of headline and using user-generated content with clear native-looking GIFs or text to kind of call out your action. Amazing. And like super quick, shameless plug, my product photography mastery course teaches you how to take a product photo on a white background using any device within the first 15 minutes of the course. (laughs) Moving right along. (laughs) I wanted to ask you some questions about after the hook. So let's say that you successfully hook someone in with either your beautiful image or your strong headline, whatever it is, getting your product in there. What are some things that you can then do to keep people a little bit longer or to keep them from scrolling past and forgetting about you? Yeah. So I think if you've hooked them, obviously you've done a good job with that. But then I think it's really kind of breaking it down again and making it very clear to why they should buy this product. So again, the why behind it. So once you have your first three second hook, then kind of going into either some user testimonials or going into some value props. And that's kind of again, where, like I said, if you have that 60 second video, you can kind of break it down into all these different pieces. So what I like to call these sorts of videos are a UGC mashup. So it's taking the UGC within the first three seconds and then sprinkling in value props, sprinkling in more reviews. If you have any sort of PR hits, adding those in as well, just to kind of give your product more validation as to why they should purchase it. So I kind of like to mix things up a bit because once I've hooked them, then I need to keep them there and I need to validate why they should purchase this product. Interesting. So this all sounds like very much like direct sales heavy. So now I'm wondering if you have any thoughts around kind of more like the soft sell, like putting out content where you're simply offering value or entertainment without directly implying that you want someone to buy a product. Do you have any thoughts around that? Yeah. So again, I think all of these kind of go within to each funnel of your ads. So obviously with prospecting, prospecting is where you really are kind of doing that sales pitch, I feel like. So you really are trying to get them to your website. You're trying to get them to purchase the product. So that's kind of where I like to put in the kind of salesy pitch. And then with like re-engagement and remarketing, that's where you kind of take them down the funnel where you talk more about the brand story and you talk more about how people can use this and kind of get into the softer elements of your kind of sales pitch and not have to be so salesy with everything. You can just get more into the actual product behind it. And again, talking more about the brand and why you should purchase from them. So there's the different funnels in advertising. And I always feel that kind of hitting them with the punch and getting the people to your site is the main thing that you want to do. Like that's why you're in direct to consumers. You want people to purchase the product. And so a lot of testing that I've seen when you kind of go on the softer side first, it doesn't really catch them right away. And then you kind of have to go back to the punchy sales pitch to make sure that they get to your site. And again, that could also be 
where your site comes in too, making sure that you have a really clear, clean landing page that it really explains your product. And that's where you can also add in more information and more value is with your landing pages as well. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And I think at the core of this is really, truly understanding your target customer so that at every juncture, you're kind of giving them that little bit of information that's exactly what they need to hear. And it's meeting them exactly where they're at. So just a little bit more about that, because I know there's all kinds of different customers and they're at all different stages in the buyer journey. We'll use skincare as an example since that's what we've been talking about. Some of them might think, oh, my skin seems a little dry. I don't quite know if I have a skincare problem or not. Right down to people that are saying like, this absolutely has to end. Like I need it to stop today. I need a skincare solution today. So those are two very different types of prospects. So can you talk a little bit about the content that you might present to different stages of the buying journey? Yeah. So again, always test your creatives. That's always the main thing. The great thing about, again, Facebook is it knows the algorithm. It understands what people are purchasing, what people aren't purchasing. And so that's kind of where you have your audiences, your lookalikes, everything data-driven that you can start to prospect to those different people. So Again, like you said, for skincare, we have one audience where it's an older demographic. So it's between 35 and like 65. So for those sorts of ads, we kind of geared the look and feel to a more older audience. So an older looking woman talking more about how it's helped her, really kind of driving home how you can add this into your skincare routine. Those sorts of things are how we kind of break it up as far as the audience goes. For the younger version, it's, again, something totally different. Having a younger girl, most of the time, younger people don't really have these skincare problems that an older woman would have. But talking about how you can add this into your daily routine to prevent those things that could happen as you get older. So more preventative as opposed to fixing. So those are kind of the things that you need to think about when you are building your audiences is, like you said, you have to gear your creatives towards the people you're talking to. Yeah, I mean, that just makes perfect sense. And it goes to show just how important it is to really know who it is that you're talking to, because otherwise creating these ads with some level of intelligence when you're getting started will be really difficult. And you'll end up spending a lot of money and time and resources creating copy and content that just isn't going to resonate with anyone. Yeah, exactly. And that's why a lot of times when you first start your process of creating ads, you really need to make sure that you understand who your audience is and really understand who you're selling to. Because again, that's going to help you when you're first starting out. And again, testing is always going to be key because you may think you know who your audience is, but then when you start testing, it may be something completely different. So you just need to kind of have some understanding to at least start testing. Yeah, I mean, I've seen stranger things happen. For sure, you can think one thing in your business or about your target customer. And then when you get into the thick of it, you learn that it's completely different. And maybe they want something completely different or they're a completely different person altogether. So the internet is full of surprises that way. (laughs) It really is. (laughs) So what are some common mistakes that you see people make with creating their three-second hook or their 15-second videos in the world of digital marketing? Yeah, I mean, 
It's funny because I've seen a lot of brands, they have a lot of money, they have a lot of backing behind them, where a lot of the basic steps of, again, showing the product within the first three seconds, talking about the product, they actually don't do those things. Or they try so hard to make these high production value pieces that they don't work because when you think about it, a lot of people don't want to be sold to. And so again, that's kind of the fine line of how you can be kind of salesy in a kind of incognito way with like user generated content and just making it kind of fun and creative. But I definitely have seen a lot of bigger brands that don't utilize any of these strategies. And again, because you know the brand, it's great. And they do have that brand recognition. But just because you have the brand recognition doesn't mean that they'll actually stop and click. So I do see a lot of brands that don't use the product within the first three seconds. They don't use testimonials and reviews, and they don't use these kind of native user-generated content. Yeah, I mean, I probably pay a little bit less attention to those things than you do. But one thing that I've definitely noticed in the last five years or so is that it's almost like things have flipped on their head a little bit. So we don't necessarily sit down to watch a TV show that's full of ads anymore. Those days seem to be gone, however, are reemerging in mysterious ways. But it's almost like we're choosing now what we're consuming and what we're not consuming and on a really micro level. And because of that, it's like we go on to the internet, we go on to Facebook because we want to consume a certain type of content. And often it's like we want to know what our, I don't know, high school friends are up to in life right now and that kind of thing. And so it's interesting to see how ads have come to meet us where we're at in a sense, which I think is where kind of that influencer marketing world was born from. So can you comment on influencer marketing and how that sort of fits into this digital marketing world that we live in now? Yeah, so a lot of times people don't want to pay for influencers to do their influencer marketing, but they do work. Granted, some of them are very expensive, but I do feel that as influencers, people look up to these people and they look to see what products they're using. And so I do feel that for brands, if you can afford it, to definitely start using influencer marketing. It is something that will help kind of drive the clicks that you're looking for, drive the revenue you're looking for. And nine times out of 10, you will see an increase with some of the influencer marketing that you put money towards. Again, it's kind of hit or miss with the brands. It definitely depends on the brand and how they use the influencer marketing. But it is something that I do think that is effective for people. Yeah, at least worth giving it a shot, right? Like anything, it's yeah, worth exactly. giving it a shot. Perfect. So, okay. I always like to wrap up with this question and it is, what is the one thing that listeners can do today to get themselves the biggest possible step closer to driving sales with a digital marketing campaign, such as with Facebook ads? Yeah. So again, I think the biggest thing that you can do is really find that hook, that really clear headline that calls out what your product does and how it could be beneficial to someone and really taking a very clear image and just putting that headline on a piece of creative to test out. And again, it could be three different headlines that you test in a creative testing campaign. But I think sitting down and really figuring out how this product is 
going to work for you is what you should do with a clear image and clear headline. And when you say headline, you just mean the text that accompanies the ad. You don't necessarily mean creating like an overlay on top of the image. No, sorry. Yes. Creating an overlay on top of the image. Oh, got it. Yeah, okay. Very clear in your face piece of creative with the headline on overlay text. Got it. So can you give us an example of a headline that's worked for you or a really good headline? Yes. So again, when I worked with Love Wellness, it's a vitamin supplement company for women. And we had a product that we were trying to get out there. It's a vaginal cleansing product. And we had just an image on a white background. And our headline was vaginas aren't complicated. And that was what we had on the creative. And that was our number one piece of creative for months. So I mean, (laughs) and it's like, it is, it's very attention grabbing and it's true. You know, I mean, it's really not complicated. So, but again, like that was something that was the thumb stopper and it really kind of makes you want to understand what this product is. Yeah. And I mean, like you said earlier in this episode, it creates that shock factor. Like when you're scrolling along, you don't expect to see the word vagina in bold font. (laughs) So I can say that I would definitely slow down for a sec to read what else that ad had to say for sure. (laughs) Lauren, thank you so much for generously offering your expertise today, for giving us your time, for being here. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kelly, for having me. This was a lot of fun. Things happen fast in today's world of hypermedia and content overload. We make quick decisions nowadays and keeping our attention is perhaps harder now than it ever was. Like, remember when we used to have to sit through ads on old-fashioned public streaming television services? And now we sit there waiting for that four-second timer to pass so we can click skip ad? Or we start a new Netflix series, and if it doesn't have us at the edge of our seats within the first couple of seconds, we go back to surfing. And born from this firehose of on-demand content is the need for punchy headlines, eye-catching imagery, and immediately compelling narratives. Gone are the days of rambling on, and gone are the days of mediocrity. I hope today's episode inspired you to think of how you're showing up online in that first crucial 15 seconds, about the same amount of time it takes someone to move what you've posted through their scroll. Lauren is a wealth of knowledge and she has had some serious success for clients in considering that first 15 seconds of interaction. To connect with Lauren or any other resources mentioned in this episode, please visit our show notes at kellylawson.ca. It's been a year since we started this podcast and I'm just realizing it right now and that's awesome. So please, when you go home after listening to this or if you're already at home, have a little something to celebrate with me, a drink of coffee, whatever it is. I don't know, a chocolate, a chocolate bar, a glass of wine, whatever. (laughs) Celebrate with me and I am gonna do the same for you. I'm celebrating you today. I'm gonna raise my glass of probably red wine high in the sky and thank the universe so much for you for tuning in to this podcast that started one year ago. I can't believe it. Thank you again so much for tuning in and bye for now. 
Thanks for listening to the Workshop Weekly Podcast, the show where no dream is too big and no topic is too small. If you like our show and want to know more, check out www.theworkshopweekly.com or leave a review on iTunes. And we'll see you next week for another action-packed episode, you Workshop Warrior, you.